Hello and welcome to the first video episode of The Cricketeers, where we talk about the beautiful game of cricket. This week, we were treated to a phenomenal test match. Honestly, I know I'm biased, but the best I've seen since Headingley in England, that fateful few summers ago, pre-COVID. Um, today with me, I have Adam Bell and Danielle Rasool of Crick Info, and we will be breaking down the amazing match that we got to see between Pakistan and New Zealand. First of all, Danielle, welcome to your first episode of The Cricketeers. Thank you, Tasneem. Do I call you Tasneem? You can call me Tasneem. You can call me whatever you like, really, as long as it's not a derogatory term. I'm okay with it. Uh, okay. No, I had no idea. Yeah, lovely to be here. It's really nice to have you, and it's nice to have a holistic Pakistani voice uh, breaking down what we got to see. You obviously were writing for Crick Info uh, during that game. What was it like staying up all hours of the night in a horrendous time zone for you to get that done? I, I gently pride myself on being um, a night owl. I, I like to stay up past 4 a.m., 5 a.m. So for a while I thought I got this. But after, <laughs> after, a, session, after a session and a half and the way the pitch was playing, and the way it never looked like initially Kane Williamson or Ross Taylor were going to get out, I, I began to doze off. And I thought, right now, this is when I have to actually be at my most active. I actually have to get my feet out now. So for three or four days, I actually had to be at my most alert when I looked like I was going to doze off. So lots of coffee, lots of tea, and hopefully a bit of luck, and I got three or four pieces out. Excellent. They were very good pieces as well. I particularly enjoyed um, the last piece that you just wrote about Fawad Alam. That is something that we're obviously going to have to talk about. But you mentioned... On a blur of caffeine. <laughs> Isn't that where all the best writing comes from? I don't even remember how many coffees I had for this. I think my MPhil thesis was probably caffeine, cigarettes, and no sleep. So I think that's where all the best writing comes from. You talked a little bit about the pitch. I am obsessed with this pitch. It is my favorite pitch in the whole of New Zealand. Um, and it's probably for very different reasons than anyone else would have. Talk to us a little bit, because the thing I find really interesting about this pitch is if you're listening to the comms, they will give you a different perspective. If you are somebody who's played on that pitch, they'll give you a different perspective. And if you're watching at home across the world on the TV, you will have a different perspective on this pitch. So talk to us about what your take on this pitch was. Generally, I think the lazy take is, and I've been guilty of this at times, that all pitches in New Zealand are roughly the same. They look like they're very yeah. green. They look like they're going to seem. They're deceptive. Once the first hour, you see the first hour out, you've done most of the hard work. You win the toss, you bowl first. All of those things, in my opinion, need to be reevaluated. Now, I think there was a time when 24 or 25 consecutive tests, who won, whoever won the toss would bowl first. It was a no-brainer. Jason Holder did that a couple of times, and he got criticized for it a bit too. Pakistan made the most of it to some extent in that they won the toss, they got their early wickets. But then these pitches, I think pitches across New Zealand are quite subtly different. This one received a lot of criticism from the English media last year, I remember, um, when I think England batted first and New Zealand just piled on the runs and then got them out on the final day. But I thought, I thought this, was, this was a slower wicket than you'd expect from New Zealand. But you, you could see there were times when it began to take turns. There was variable bounce as early as the third day, I think. So I, I, I don't think it's that slow or dull or dead a wicket as some people might have thought just looking at the scorecard, looking at maybe Pakistan scoring at less than two and over, and even New Zealand initially in the first innings taking their time to get their, to score their runs. But from people who've actually been there, who, um, who've played there, 
uh, or even watch cricket there, I think they'd have a more informed perspective. I'm just a little curious and a little unsure, but I do think that pitches in New Zealand are a lot, a lot more variable than we give them credit for abroad. I'm so glad that you said that because I had a conversation with Adam the other day where I said to him, the most interesting thing about moving to New Zealand for me has been the change in, in how I perceive the pitches. It is so easy watching from far away to see that green color. This entire country is very green. It's just the color of the country, in all honesty. And it does... Is that because it's, it's, it it's pissing down all the time? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've come from a country that rains even more. <laughs> I, well, this is what I said. From, from an untrained eye or maybe somebody who doesn't have hands-on personal experience, it looks like it's similar to England, and it's not. This country grows watermelons and papayas and avocados, which means it's nothing like England. The ground isn't like England. Um, the soil is a different type of fertility. And then, the, of course, the art of making a pitch and what groundsmen do is totally different as well. Uh, instead of telling you what I think, I used to think the exact same thing, and that is why I love this pitch, because it is so different to what we expect um, from what we will see in the next couple of days at, at Hagley as well in Christchurch, very different type of wicket. Adam, do you want to come in and maybe talk a little bit about the wicket? And and I think Danielle's assertions there were actually really accurate. As early as the third day, you're going to see turn, you're going to see variable bounce. Um, personally, if I was Pakistan, I would have batted first, simply to avoid batting on in the fourth innings on a pitch like this. I think Pakistan was probably lucky that New Zealand don't have a test spinner. Mitchell Santner's a guy, but he's not a test spinner. If you had taken any test spinner um, to that ground on the fourth day, I think Pakistan would have been skittled out for, God, maybe like 80 to 100, maybe 120 runs max. We would not have seen it get anywhere near as exciting as we did. Um, a lot of turn on offer. It's just that the spinner that New Zealand have at their disposal is probably one who is not able to capitalize on that. Adam? Well, Interesting. Like, I actually thought the pitch was really good for a start. And I actually think Pakistan were right to win the toss and bowl first as well. And, you know, they made early inroads, obviously, in that, that first session. And I think that was probably, the, the, in their thinking, the best opportunity to really get deep into the New Zealand batting order. But, you know, Kane Williamson again, you know, he, he came along and, and scored another 100. So, you know, if they could have got through Kane Williamson, then there would have been an opportunity to get, you know, deeper into the, the New Zealand um, batting lineup, and, and even they had a few opportunities. I mean, Kane Williamson um, could have been given out LBW of, of Pakistan would have reviewed um, late in, on the first day. Henry Nichols was dropped by Muhammad Abbas on the boundary as well. So, you know, they had their opportunities. Um, but obviously, Kane Williamson is a linchpin at the moment. He's in great form, number one batsman in the world by the ICC rankings. So I, I think it was a good decision to, to win the toss and, and bowl first. In terms of the actual pitch itself, look, I think the pitch was great. Offered some assistance early on for the for the seam bowlers. The pitch got better to bat on. Then it started taking a bit of turn. It deteriorated a bit as the as the, the match went along. From a Pakistan perspective, they didn't get to bowl on the last day, so it would have been interesting to see how Yasser Shah would have bowled on on that pitch. I mean, obviously, as you as you pointed out, um, Mitchell Sander isn't in that world class bracket. Um, you know, an Ashwin, a, a Shah, a uh, Jadeja line, you know, would have been interesting to see how those guys would have bowled on that pitch. But all in all, like, I thought it was a really, really good pitch. Because the thing is, the New Zealand pitches don't tend to break up like pitches overseas. So you never really see spinners come into play. And I, and I think that's where this pitch was a, a little bit different. Shah, we know, is a, is a world-class leg spinner and, and 
and leg spinners, wrist spinners can, can basically turn it on anything. Um, but he was getting great turn you know, early on on day two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on from the pitches, and I'm actually really glad to hear two distinct but but somewhat converging perspectives on the quality of those pitches that we got to see. Moving on from that, let's talk about how, in your perspective, Pakistan did and how, in your perspective, New Zealand did. Adam, since since you're a supporter of the team that walked away with a win, how do you feel they did and how was that a test of their strengths and where, where were their glaring weaknesses? Well, number one, wasn't it great to actually have a competitive test match for a change? And, and I think after the West Indies series... Actual cricket fans wanted to see a really good contest. And even as a New Zealand cricket fan, I wanted to see this team challenged and peerage throughout the Test match. And I think Pakistan did that to an extent, you know, especially with the ball. The, you know, I guess New Zealand were going, at, you know, two runs and over. But that's been New Zealand's style for the last, you know, few years under the captaincy of Kane Williamson. It's a bit of a different approach than when under Brian McCullum's captaincy. They, they tend to look at wearing out opposition. And Pakistan, I thought, bowled really well in the first innings. Um, you know, Shaheen Sharafridi, 20 years old, is going to be uh, a great for Pakistan. He's a generational talent. Um, Nassim Shah struggled a little bit, but, you know, to be fair to him, he hasn't really had a lot of bowling on, on this tour. I mean, just the one, you know, tour match um, in, in Whangarei against New Zealand A. Um, Yusuf Shah didn't really come into play in the, in the first innings. I thought Fahim bowled really well um, as well. I mean, you had Muhammad Abbas, who, who kept it tight, as we know that he can. Um, probably didn't quite get his length right, but I thought all in all, our batsmen were challenged in the first innings. Um, and, and again, as I mentioned earlier, it was just Kane Williamson was was the one that, that stood up, and and with his the way he bats is, is able to to really grind the opposition. Opposition, unlike a lot of other batsmen in world cricket, he doesn't give a lot of opportunities to the opposition. You know, um, and I think looking around that, New Zealand can kind of build their innings around his. His, his batting, and, and I think um, in this in this test match, it was again a case of us assessing the pitch was a little bit slower, us ensuring that we didn't lose too much wickets, grinding good bowling down. Um, I think in terms of the New Zealand side, I think um, Tim Salvey bowled exceptionally well. Again, pr- proving in, in home conditions he is he's a handful. Big Cole Jameson, uh, look, I mean, what can you say about the guy? I mean, his, his test career is record at the moment is, is, is incredible. And I think we wanted to see what he would do under pressure. And I think on that final day, his wicket of Rizwan you know, swung the game New Zealand's way. It broke the game open. I think without that wicket, Pakistan probably go on to draw that match. So it was his wicket that volatile time that kind of showed that he can actually oh, bowl under pressure. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I do think um, that there were a couple of opportunities to really test New Zealand, to to actually shake this belief that all of us have about New Zealand being an unbeatable team at home. And I think the opportunities were there. Um, I think one of New Zealand's biggest weaknesses, because it's not really been tested, is when the anchors, when the enforcers that are Kane Williamson and Ross Taylor are not able to perform what happens, who steps up and who falls apart. We know BJ has historically been very good, particularly in batting with with, um, Colin de Grandhomme, who wasn't playing in this game. 
but BJ had a bit of a so-so match. You can't call it a poor performance, but he didn't really step up either. So I think had that wicket, that partnership of Taylor and Williamson been broken a little bit earlier, and then obviously that next partnership with Watling broken earlier, I think New Zealand would really have had some serious issues. They wouldn't have been able to um, rack up the total that they did in the end. Uh, we've seen Henry Nichols have a difficult year. Um, it, some of that came to the fore, I think, with that really, really ugly 100 that we saw him score against the West Indies that was full of missed opportunities. Really, the West Indies gifted him a 100, and he walked it over the line. Um, it wasn't the easiest 100 to watch, just because you could see a man that is struggling with form. And I think that that would have really come out in, in this game. But the massive difference between Pakistan and um, New Zealand in terms of batting is, A, you have that, that anchor pair that is just always successful. Always, always successful. They always come through. And it's nice to see Ross Taylor get a little bit of form as well. But in addition to that, Pakistan just doesn't bat deep enough. Pakistan's bowling, however, is yeah. probably varied um, despite a lot of inexperience in comparison to New Zealand's years and years and years of experience in that very formidable and balanced bowling lineup that they have. But I think that we would have seen an incredibly different match had those partnerships, those two, two key partnerships, been broken a smidge earlier. Danielle, what are your assessments of how New Zealand did, strengths and weaknesses, and Pakistan? So uh, you did you did talk about New Zealand's anchors in Williamson and Taylor. The thing the thing that slightly um, I think should worry Pakistan is I thought New Zealand's main weakness is the top order, the top uh, the top two, the openers essentially. Against the West Indies, I think they struggled they struggled to get any partnerships going in the first innings against Pakistan. Both of them fell early, and um, I know I know Latham generally is considered one of New Zealand's best openers over the past ten years or so. But recently, I, I don't think his form has been the best and. Blundell, Tom Blundell, Tom Blundell, he's been shunted up and down the order a little in his short career. He, I think, started at number eight where he got 100. Then he's been asked to open. So he is a team man. But then New Zealand went on and those two uh, built up a 100 partnership in the second innings. I know there wasn't as much pressure, but Pakistan needed to bowl them out cheaply. And so initially they attacked and they failed to get early breakthroughs. So it's all very well saying um, New Zealand's anchors, uh, New Zealand are heavily reliant on their anchors. But against Pakistan, if you remember, the, the one that I, in my preview um, for the first test, I, I said that Henry Nichols was slightly one to watch because if you, if you looked at his career before three-match series in the UAE against Pakistan, he wasn't, he wasn't a lock in that side. I think he averaged early 30s or maybe even less than that. And then he scored a, a couple of really gritty half-centuries and then that 100. And it was, it was by razor-thin margins, essentially, New Zealand walked away with that series. Perhaps it could have had just as easily been two one the other way. So I think that's, and if you look at his record since, that's when he sort of um, made himself a mainstay in that middle order. So for New Zealand, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint weaknesses, but I, think, I still think the openers are where Pakistan can make their biggest gains because Pakistan is sensational with the new ball. And obviously with Kane Williamson, he doesn't really give you many chances, but this wasn't a completely chanceless innings. I think no. there, there were a couple of... Uh, tough slip chances that they could have taken. And as you said, that would have been a different game. But then if New Zealand's openers are coming back into form, we know how good their base bowling quarter is, then it doesn't really leave much many weaknesses except maybe Mitchell Sankner, as you say, he's not um, quite uh, that, uh, he doesn't quite have the quality that maybe a number one test side should. But other than that, yeah, New Zealand are a really well-rounded side. So if you look at them, 
when they don't have Kane Williamson, they still beat the West Indies by an innings. When Pakistan don't have Babar Azam, they just look a really, really hollow batting lineup. Yeah, I think that difference of missing Babar was just absolutely huge. And moving towards who stepped up for Pakistan, I think that's actually a really important thing to point out. If you are missing a linchpin that is as important to your side who bats long, bats deep, and then racks up runs without anybody really realizing as well, like Babar, you're going to need several people to step up. I think the makeshift captain did that exceptionally well. Um, I have long been a massive fan of Mohammad Rizwan. I, I'm a wicketkeeper myself, so it has been years and years of begging for Pakistan to produce a genuine world-class wicketkeeper. Rizwan is probably the first talent I saw that could reach that level. Um, we've got another young one waiting in the wings who's obviously on the A-tour at the moment, which is really nice to see as well, but it's been a long time coming. To me, the improvements that have happened for Mohammad Rizwan in the past three or so years, uh, domestically, then at the PSL, and now at the international level that he's been given a genuine run for the first time in his career, they mean a lot to me. And to me, they show a potential leader. They show a team man. Um, if, if the PCB was letting me make decisions, I probably would have thought about him even more strongly for the captaincy than he was thought of. But that's because I'm English. So I very much do not believe in the concept of taking your best batsman and sticking the captaincy role with him. Uh, I don't think that Root's been a great batsman, uh, a great captain, excuse me, for the last few years. But I think he's a phenomenal batsman. And I am a fan of the concept of letting your best batsman just bat. If someone is a natural, not everybody is Virat Kohli or Kane Williamson, that they are both the most important players in the side or the best batsmen, and they are natural leaders. It's great when you have that in one package, but it's not for everyone. So it's going to be interesting if Bobber does come back for me to see his captaincy um, in a away test at this level against a side that is so very complete. But while Rizwan stepped into the role, I thought he did a fantastic job both with the captaincy and with a bat. Danielle, what were your views? Rizwan is both, uh, he's a gem of a player and he, 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 he's a wonderful team man as well. So I, I have to be slightly careful about what I say because as you know, the Rizwan Sarshra's wars in Pakistan are pretty intense. But <laughs> yeah. I, I'm being from Lahore, I can't be seen to favor Rizwan. But I, I should say though, for a couple of years when uh, Sarshra's was captain and he was a lock for all three formats, Rizwan just worked away on the domestic circuit. He did well, he didn't, he didn't throw... Uh, he didn't throw his toys out of the pram. He didn't complain. He didn't. Uh, he, there, there were times when I thought maybe um, Sarfaz could have been rested because it's always good to have uh, your second choice wicketkeeper play some international cricket. So when that didn't happen and he got his chance, there was obviously it was an interesting circumstances. Sarfaz had just been stripped from the captaincy all three formats. There was intense scrutiny on him. Just the series, he was told he wasn't ready a T20 batsman nor a T20 opener certainly. So whenever he's been put under pressure he manages to find a way to step out of his comfort zone and still find a way to deliver. So and obviously behind the stumps, that's where he's comfortable. He's, he's by far, by far the best wicketkeeper in Pakistan. Um, he, I, we all know he was sensational in England and he didn't really make many mistakes against New Zealand either. Um, I, I slightly worry that at the moment Pakistan are relying too much on him. He's, he's a good, solid batsman, but they can't be relying on him to score half centuries and 70s and 80s from the low middle order. At some point, that purple patch is going to dry up. And he, if he's going to be captain, which he's not for a while, 
um, he, he, he is going to need support from uh, obviously Barbara Azam, but obviously the openers and uh, the rest of the batsmen, which he didn't really get um, in this first year. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment. That, I mean, it's no one man can carry a team by themselves, especially in a batting lineup like that. Um, and having Barbara missing, that was very obvious, particularly in the first innings where Fawad Alam didn't come out to play. Um, let's talk a little bit about the openers before we move on to every Pakistani's favorite topic, which is Fawad Alam. Um, yeah, so this this is a this is both a concern and uh, something that Pakistan at the moment in the short term can't really do much about. So Imam al out, obviously. Um, Shah Masood's worked really hard, but other than that hundred in England, he hasn't really had too much to show for it. That is that is a concern because once again, um, Shan is a great guy, and I know he works really really hard. Um, uh, and he's one he's one of the better thinkers uh, in the Pakistan side, so he's always going to be analyzing his game. He's um, uh, he, once again, he's not the most talented, but um, it's his hard work that's gotten him into the side. After he was dropped, I think, five times, he played 12 tests over five different stints in six years. So it hasn't been easy, but whenever he, he's come back, he's taken his opportunity. And so once again, he's struggling a little. Um, Abid, I would, I'm inclined to sli- be slightly less worried about. Um, I, 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 think, I think he has a slightly more solid technique for, uh, and temperament. Uh, for this kind of game, especially in New Zealand, where initially you need to be patient. I think he, I think he was slightly unlucky not to have more to show for it this test. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he uh, chips in with a half century or a decent, substantial contribution second test. I have asked many people to explain Sean Masood to me because like, I've, everybody tells me what a great guy he is, and that's great, but let's talk about him as a cricketer. If you look at the number of 50s and centuries that he has, for somebody with an average of around 30, it's a little bit confusing that, that somebody would, let's call it a very mediocre average. Very mediocre average. In England, anytime we have an opener with an average of 30, we're like, no, 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 where's the next one? Not this guy, not this guy. We need better. How's so that, I think- How's that worked out? It has worked out not well at all, absolutely. And now Joe Denley's making 30s for us instead. <laughs> so it's, it's a difficulty that I think a lot of countries have. Being an opening batsman is a thankless... Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. One thing, one thing I'd quickly say is, um, with Sean, the argument is, I know it, it's a slightly selective argument, if you take out his first 12 tests, because he was a completely different player. He played three tests and then two, and then he was dropped. So he played those 12 tests across five different stints. And since then, he's remodeled his game. I think before the England series, he, he averaged around 50. He was the best batsman Pakistan had in South Africa. He's, he, his, his weaknesses have started coming to the fore again. I guess just keep him away from Jimmy Anderson, because that does that to someone like Sean. But other than that, I, I still think it would be harsh to do away with him after they've invested so much faith in him and then kept going back to him after for five or six years. And look, I guess the reality is that if you don't look at domestically who are amongst your best openers, where are you going and why? If domestic cricket exists to help us feed into the international sphere, then you're going to have to look at it. Um, so no short-term solutions for the qu- question of openers. How about the question of who gives way if and when Bobber is ready? Um, I'm, I've slightly gone blank on who played uh, at number four and five. Who, who, so four and five, mind? three was Azur, four was Fawad, five is Rizwan, uh, and then uh, six. I think five was Harith. Five was Harith. Oh, yeah, 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 Harith. Ooh, not a good sign if you're completely missing out a player about his game. So, so that's what I was going to say. I, I think I think Harith is probably the one feeling the pressure most of us. Uh, Azur Ali couldn't really complain if he was the one who was dropped, 
but I think but I think it's his hundred it's his hundred in the UK that's probably going to continue to keep him in the side. And the fact that he was captain so recently, I think I think it it would be quite a big call for Pakistan to drop him, have not have him, or obviously Asad Shafiq who's not even there. You know my feelings about Asad Shafiq. So to to have those two completely missing from the middle order, I think would be a gamble that they won't want to take. They they did okay in England without Faris Sohail at times. So I think he's the one that they might view as most just dispensable, given that obviously um, uh, Rizwan's the keeper and Fahim, um, Fahim's place, I would say, now is secure. He bowled well, he batted well, he, he'll be okay. I know Adam has a slightly different take on the question of who misses out. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to hear it because it's a very different New Zealand perspective. But, but I think it's interesting that you're talking about dropping Haris. And, and it's a fair call after what we watched um, this last game. I think he was probably the gate player who gave it away the most. Set himself up well, did some of the hard work, and then played a, some kind of stupid shot to absolutely throw it away for no reason. But I do think it's interesting because after Fawad Alam, he probably has the most Bradman-esque average in domestic cricket in Pakistan. He has a history of racking up runs. And then I guess have a history of, of an inability to trust in those players or allow them to flourish or expect more of them maybe. Um, Adam, what do you think about the question of who drops out for Barber? Interesting. Like, I mean, obviously, Harris Sahel played two poor shots in the first test. Um, so he would be the one, I guess, under pressure. But then, you, you know, you look at the opening slot um, and the Pakistani openers didn't bat well in, in the first test match. So I'm wondering <laughs> if Barber does come back for the second test, would there would be a thought about putting Azza Ali up to the opening position? I mean, he bats at number three. I mean, he was coming on early in the innings anyway. So, um, you know, for me, if you if you win with Azza Ali opening and batting on it, it, it looks a little bit stronger. And then adding Barbara in there, if you've got Harris at, obviously at five, Rizwan at six, and Fahim at seven. How do you uh, feel yeah. about that, Daniel? I, I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting call. He's played he's played a lot of Test cricket batting as an opener. So in that sense, it shouldn't be something that's completely unfamiliar to him. The only thing I would say is, if you're that badly out of form, as if you if you're in need of as much, if you're in need of a confidence uh, boost to the extent that other Ali is, um, I don't think sending you up first ball against the new ball against Port and Saudi um, is going to do much for your confidence. So in that sense, I, I don't know if other himself would fancy it. I, I think I think I think given that he's been struggling, it, he might find it nicer to drop down a start even if he comes in fairly early given one of the openers inevitably gets out early. I, I do think that given that Harris wasn't on, I, I think this is actually a big thing with Pakistan because um, in terms of what they'll actually do, not necessarily what they should do, but uh, uh, given that Harris missed the England tour, uh, Harris was injured for uh, the season again in South Africa. In Pakistan, if you're not really playing this series at times, it's very easy to view a player as dispensable then. So given that he has, for example, Asad Shafiq has played 70 tests maybe on momentum. It's just it's just nice to have him there, so you continue getting him there. Harris has kept missing games and series here and there. So given that he's done that, I do think they'll find it easier um, to drop him than to make uh, a change at the top of the order. Having said that, given that as Adam correctly said, other comes in so early, it might not make such a huge difference if he opens too. And Azar Ali actually looked pretty good in the second innings um, before giving him getting yeah. out. Yeah, it's a pretty did. poor shot. Uh, I, I think I, I, that's, that's the problem. Given that he got out so early on the fifth day, people thought overnight, right, so we've got a partnership going, maybe Pakistan can do this. And then he got out in the second over on, on, to a very poor short. And so people thought that he's a lot of pressure on 
the Fawad Al Muhammad Rizwan partnership, obviously. So I don't know. Um, uh, he, he's got a good record as opener in the past 30 years. Maybe he's if you were make creating a Pakistani team, maybe he'd be the opener. But right now, it's just his form that I'm worried about. Do you, do you think if, if he was to be pushed up to opener for the second tier, it's just just in another way to look at it, it kind of undermines Pakistan's strategy, long-term strategy and trying to create a settled opening partnership. Because if he just does come up the order, we know obviously he's, you know, what, what he's 35, 36 now. I mean, just for one test match, it, it kind of just says to those other two guys, well, well, hang on, we don't really have much confidence in, confidence in you. Possibly, but... Over the past year or so, Pakistan's long-term strategy um, hasn't really been in evidence. So when they got rid of Sarfraz, um, they got rid of a captain who wasn't in form, and they made Azhar Ali captain another person who wasn't in form. And so they didn't really get rid of the problem. They just passed it on to another person, and they had to deal with it again, obviously. He had to be removed after just eight test matches. He, I, I, don't, I don't even think he deserved to be removed after the England series. He got 100. Pakistan very easily could have walked away with a one series win. But given they did that... Pakistan don't really at the moment, I think, focus on um, long-term fixes, especially in the middle of the series, of a series. If they think that's the right thing to do, um, they won't care that it's not necessarily a long-term fix. They just want to make sure they potentially um, do a better job in the second test. Can, can I ask the personal question here? Because everybody has a different take on this. Are you a fan of a short-term fix? Because obviously, short-term fixes lead to momentum. Momentum can lead to long-term success. Or would you rather see Pakistan institute a long-term plan? Um, it's, once again, I, th- I, think it's, I think it depends on which specific problem you're talking Are you talking about the openers now? I'm talking about the question of playing old-fashioned test cricket, a question that we haven't actually talked about yet. But this is a very, it's still a very 90s formula of test cricket. We've seen countries like England, Australia, even India to some extent, move on in the type of cricket that they play. I probably got really excited about a potential win the other day because the last test match I saw before I left England to, to move to New Zealand was Headingley. And that was just very different. That's very modern test cricket. It's changing the game. It's understanding that sessions can be played with different speeds, with different variations, and you can have a different game plan for every every aspect of it. And the one reason that England gets to do that is because we have players that are so variable and are capable of doing different things. Pakistan goes for a much more old-fashioned formula. Um, does, they don't bat deep enough for modern test cricket. Um, there's possibly not quite enough variation in their bowling, not as much as New Zealand have. I think the quality of Pakistan's bowling, despite the inexperience, is very strong. But there's probably less variation there. So in moving Pakistani cricket into the 21st century, just, what, 20, 21, 22 years late on that, um, what do we do? How do we go there? I think the problem with uh, long-term fixes in Pakistan cricket is long-term fixes take a long time. And given the situation um, at, at board level at times is so volatile, yeah. it, it, it's hard to say, it's hard for a coach who, uh, to, who, it's hard for a coach to build up enough credit to say, I'm going to institute, institute a long-term plan. It might involve some short-term pain. It might involve some defeats early on that um, you're going to have to bear with me for. Um, Misbah potentially doesn't have that much credit in the bank right now, given that, once again, this is, in a way, this is a continuation of the Misbah era when he was captain in terms of the approach and the philosophy, but sadly, but sadly not in terms of the results. So, so the problem is, if you, if you play like the way Pakistan played, especially in the first innings, 
you, you'd better win because if you, you're not, you're not, um, no one's having fun watching you back like that. So you might as well get a win out of that. Given that Pakistan did neither, um, I, I don't think Mispa is someone who can say, okay, we are going to scan that. First of all, I don't think it's something that comes naturally to him. It'd be very hard. His self-preservation is a very strong goal with Mispa. And to be fair, it, 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 it's taken in places. It took him to become the longest-serving Pakistani captain. He captained until he was 43. He became coach just two years later in interesting circumstances. So, um, so I, 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 think, I think there's definitely a case to be made that Pakistan needs uh, to, as you say, move into the 21st century. But I, for example, I never for a moment thought Pakistan was going to go for that target, even when Rizwan Aftiti came out playing those two shots. Um, it's, it's just not the way Pakistan do things right now. You remember when Mispa took over as captain the first couple of series, Pakistan packed it out to fifth stage draws when they potentially won the one against New Zealand, I believe. Yeah. Or was it, uh, yeah. So they could have gone for those. New Zealand would have gone for those. I, I don't see it happening. Uh, I, I'd, love, I'd love to be, be there when it does happen, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Daniel, what was your um, thoughts about uh, Muhammad Abbas um, being made not watchman? Because I, I felt like at, at the time, you know, I could see why Pakistan decided to, to put him in ahead of obviously Azhar Ali with only a few overs left. But I actually thought that his innings kind of, in, in a way, took a lot of the momentum away from Pakistan's innings. I know, you know, his one of 50 odd balls looked great, but I felt it kind of slowed down the run rate. Um, and I think he batted probably too long. And I, you could kind of see. Um, Obviously, the, the pressure going on on um, Ali at the other other end, and I'm just wondering, you know, whether you know maybe looking back, that wasn't a great decision. Possibly, um, it's it's in, it's an interesting thing about Night Watchman because the previous day you couldn't afford it what he did; he just needed to see out the day. But then the next day, maybe at times you feel like if they if they got out, your side would be served better because you'd get a move yeah. on. Pakistan, Pakistan never really did that, and while Abbas was blocking. The uh, blocking out everything that came his way. That's what was happening from the other end too. So yeah, maybe maybe you have a point. I I don't really think Pakistan could have foreseen that. But a night watchman batting too long sounds like a good problem to have. <laughs> but usually, but usually it's only it usually only it only is a uh, good thing if they continue to get runs. So yes, yeah, maybe maybe if he came on the next day and he was instructed to bat a little more aggressively to take a few risks, it didn't matter if he got out. Then it would have been a different. Uh, a different scenario. But I think Pakistan just thought, okay, well, as long as he bats and he takes uh, the shine of the new ball, that's going to serve us well. But as you say, yeah, it only forces Pakistan's momentum. And on, I on honestly... Flip, sorry, on the flip side as well, um, so when Pakistan were trying to save the match, Yasir Shah actually batted ahead of Muhammad Abbas, where I actually thought that maybe Muhammad Abbas having a better technique should have actually been promoted ahead of Yasir Shah. What were your thoughts about that? Those are the two that Pakistan have used generally as night watchmen. I'm, I'm still not completely convinced about whether Abbas is the better batsman. I think over his career, Yasser has been a better batsman than Abbas. And when the two retire, in my opinion, I still think Yasser will end up um, having the better batting record. Um, having said that, if you're asking for someone to completely shut up shop, Abbas is probably more your man than Yasser. So that, in that sense, I guess I, I think that's a fair point. Um, but it's just, once again, the same thing. Pakistan are just very rigid. They have this batting lineup, and they are not going to change it unless something really obvious happens. So in that sense, it's once again the Misbah approach, where we've got this plan, we've, we're going to stick with it, and we're going to hope for the best. So at times I feel like they're, not, they're on autopilot a little too much. They weren't even thinking. I'm sure, I'm sure no one even thought or discussed the possibility of sending one over the other. It was just, this is our batting lineup. Yasser, then Abbas, we're just going to send those two out. 
um, possibly a bus might have been served by them to shut if they wanted to shut up shop, which they did. But yeah, I don't think they're really thinking that deeply. So Fahima Shurf guys, um, I don't know about, so Adam is a massive fan, but I think all Adam would have seen of Fahima Shurf are now, this is his second tour to New Zealand. And that's probably what the majority of what Adam has seen. Um, I have never thought of Fahima Shurf as a test player. I saw his test debut in 2018 in person and, and thought, okay, you know, he's young, maybe he'll become, you know, test capable. And then when he dropped out from test selection, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. To see him selected for this tour, again, I thought, well, it's a 54-man squad. You need a lot of options there. He probably won't even get a go in test cricket. So to see him named in the playing 11, I was surprised and shocked. But then I haven't been following Pakistani domestic cricket for the last uh, year and a half, maybe. What did you think of that selection, Danielle? Were you surprised by how well he did bat and bowl? Uh, slightly, I was surprised. I wasn't surprised to see him in the eleven because if you uh, if you broke down what Pakistan's uh, squad was for that first test, um, I think they had no choice because they weren't they couldn't play Shadab. He was injured, and then you needed someone at seven who wasn't a tail end. And Fahim just about gets. The, he's still definitely batting a position too high. And the funny thing is when he when he when he got to I think eighty five or ninety, and the score gra- the the graphic for his five best test scores came up. Three was one of those test scores. So, yeah. uh, so you know, so you know, if someone if three features in one of your best test innings, you have a lot of work to do to convince people that you are still a batsman. I remember I was in I was in Cape Town and uh, uh, when Pakistan were over in South Africa and um, Pakistan was getting beaten as you would expect them to. And I asked uh, Mickey Arthur about the possibility of playing an all rounder and playing Fahim Mashraf, and he said, No, Fahim Mashraf is not an all rounder. And that, to me, struck me as interesting for a coach to so um, be, uh, unequivocally say that, given that he he's done okay as he's in in the UK with the fact. But Fahim is interesting. I I I don't I don't think I want to analyze him too deeply in the sense that whenever he plays test cricket, he either contributes with the bat or the ball. But it's just yeah. still such but it's still such a small sample size um, that it's hard to say what his career will end up being. I still think a very very strong side doesn't really have a place for Fahim um, in the 11. But Pakistan isn't that strong a test side just yet. Yeah, absolutely. I spoke to Yunus Khan about it and tried to, as politely as possible, say, what the hell, man? Why Why is he a test player? And Yunus Khan basically very clearly said, look, we need all-rounders who can bat outside of, who can bowl outside of Asia. So we need all-rounders that are not spinners. And I guess... That's where it makes sense, doesn't it? His contribution. And, and he, he bowled well, I thought. I, yeah. uh, in the first, especially, especially on the first day, um, he wasn't as incisive as a bat, but I think he was almost just as disciplined, which I think uh, the management will appreciate. He also so bowled. He also bowled well in the uh, in the T twenties as well. He actually played well in the T twenties. Remember in that in that first T twenty at Eden Park when what was it? Pakistan were well, four or five down. He came out and, and, he, and he played innings which actually kept Pakistan in that match and. And even in the, in he the, then dropped the, the match. match. He uh, then dropped the match on the boundary with that <laughs> dropped cap. That's it. <laughs> <Thanks for my, laughs> well, no, 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 you're right. He, he did. He had a good T20 series, and he followed it into into the um the tests. And actually, I think that bowling wise, he should have more success at Hagley 
than he, he did at Mount Mungo. And I do think he bowled very well. Um, I think he was probably bowling at his absolute ceiling and probably batting at his ceiling as well, which is really where you want your players to be, is is doing the absolute best that they can. Guys, let's talk a little bit about Fawad Alam. Um, I felt like I was living with a Karachiite when I was watching the match because all I heard is Fawad Alam's going to make a century. Fawad Alam's going to make a century from Adam over here. And I was like, okay, calm down. <laughs> Let's, I want to see it before you start hyping it up. But then it happened. Um, sorry, do you want me to go? Either of you, happily. Um, okay, well, I'll start. Um, I, I remember when he, uh, when he began um, in the second innings, he began so cautiously, someone tweeted me saying, how did he get 168 on debut? It must have taken all five days. And, <laughs> and, you, and you, could, you could see the point. But then again, um, this is the mystery of Fawad Alam. No one quite understands. No one, literally no one quite understands why um, he, he, never, he never got a look in for 10 years. He was making runs every year on the domestic circuit. Yes, his technique was a bit wonky and perhaps uh, Pakistan had, especially at 3-4-5, had a fairly settled middle order. But then again, Pakistan have had batting problems since their inception. And there were always these when you thought maybe others are a bit out of form, uh, um, Asad's a bit out of form, maybe Yunus or Misbah could do with the rest. And then even when they retired, he, he just continued making runs on the domestic circuit. And then if you're not going to value your own first-class cricket system, what, um, for 10 years, they had, I think, six different systems at first-class level. They had departments, they had regions, they had 16 teams, they had eight teams. Now they have six teams. They had, they had difficult pitches for the, uh, until 2016 or 17. Then they moved to slightly flatter tracks. Then they moved to greener surfaces. Fawad was scoring runs all this while. He was scoring against the spin. He was patient against fast bowling as he was against New, uh, New Zealand. I think for a while he just didn't take on the fast bowlers at all. Then as soon as Mitchell Sankson came on, um, he attacked yeah. him. I thought, yeah, I thought he, I think he scored about, at about six and over. Um, batted out a maiden over against Kane Williamson, interestingly. But other than that, um, yeah, he it's looked just, it's more just, penetrating. He did. He, he did. Although he I heard, I heard he hasn't taken a test wicket in years. <laughs> but yeah, he did. I he think did. since 2016, maybe. I think since 2016. But that one over, that over where he came on to bowl. Um, I mean, we'd had lots of conversations before the match where I said, what what New Zealand really needs are real test spinners, and this is the kind of pitch that you go into with two spinners, two world class spinners. So they're really going to have an issue with that. If if at that time I thought Barber would still be playing when I was having this conversation, and it would have been a very different situation without the the requisite spin. And came came on, and I got excited because I always loved watching him bowl back in the day when he used to be an actual all rounder. Early years, Kane Williamson. And that first over I saw, I looked at it and I thought, if these guys had two genuine world-class spinners, they would be absolutely unbeaten. This whole thing would be over early day four. Like morning session of day four, this game would be absolutely over. He was getting turned. And I really respected that Fawad said, I'm not going to get out to someone who has not taken a wicket in four years, um, effectively. Um, What I think is really interesting, though, so you're mentioning how Fawad's technique, um, which has always been to be a little bit cautious against pace and then score against spin. He's very strong against spin. What I find really fascinating is that all these teams have so many analysts. They have so many people crunching numbers and telling you the areas in which a guy bowls or scores or whatever. But there still seems to be very little cross-cultural awareness of, of people who have played domestically but not on an international level. 
Um, I think maybe scant Pakistanis or people in the Pakistani management would have heard of, let's say, maybe a Devin Conway, um, who, of course, like didn't didn't get to to have his test debut that I thought he maybe would get this time, but he did play against the West Indies. So the, no, no people who would have heard of Devin Conway. Sometimes it's painful to listen to comms talk about someone like Fawad Alam, where all people on broadcast commentary can do is talk about his, his weird stance, which isn't the first time we've seen it, not just from him, but Shivnarayan Chunderbal, Steve Smith exists. It would be really nice if we could just get over um, people with a, a slightly quirky quirky technique, quirky stance, any of that. But but so I was just listening to them and that's all they were saying. That's all they were saying. And then Santner came on and the comms got really interested and excited. They were like, oh, how's this, how's this technique going to fare against spin? And I thought, well, if you, if anyone knew even this much about Pakistani cricket, they would know, or, or what happens domestically, they would know that Fuad's phenomenal against spin. He's got no issues there. And actually for a very long time, it's probably why some of us thought he wasn't making it into the test side. Oh, he's strong against spin. Most countries don't have, you know, spinners of that caliber. There's no point having him. We need somebody stronger against pace bowling. So it was really interesting to see that from him. Did he do what you expected him to do in this game? Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to say I expected him to score 100. Um, uh, but... Given that he, when he was selected against England, you made an interesting point. You said, oh, he's not selected because uh, most countries, especially uh, countries like England and New Zealand, don't have that quality of spin, but they do have strong pace bowlers, and that's why Fawad generally isn't selected. But then, well, why wasn't he selected for Sri Lanka, but then finally was thrown in for both, both England and New Zealand? It just it made no sense. So in terms of trying to analyze when Fawad should have been selected and when he shouldn't have been, I try not to do that because it's just impossible to unpick what were actual selectoral decisions with whatever the hell else was going on. So uh, without sounding like a conspiracy theorist, I try not to get into that. But then when, when it comes to, in, uh, for, for what has been a great problem solver in domestic cricket, um, it's, it's not like the quality of domestic cricket bowling is rubbish. It's pretty good in Pakistan. And at times the pitches have been really, really difficult to bat on, both in yeah. terms of um, difficult uh, to bat against pace and difficult to bat against spin. Um, and, and he's found a way to solve those problems. So yes, in the first innings, he played a poor shot to get out. Um, I don't want to be too harsh, but he played. He did play a, not the best shot to get out in the second innings as well, but that was obviously after a Herculean effort, after a lot of patience that he had shown. Um, so in that sense, he did solve uh, a problem that obviously he knew had persisted since the England series. Um, but then that's what he does. That's what he's been doing for 10 years. And regardless of which level, in my opinion, you score runs at, when you score runs, it does give you confidence. And so Fawad will back himself time and again to stay at the crease for a long time, to get the runs that he needs to get. What's the feeling for you, Danielle, going into the second test, which is which starts tomorrow, weather permitting? Um, yeah, um, I, I, I still think New Zealand, like I said earlier, I think New Zealand are heavy favourites because Pakistan, um, I think the scoreline is slightly deceptive. I, I, I still think it's easy to forget how many sessions New Zealand dominated in terms of... Uh, how few contributions from Pakistan made this an interesting test in terms of, in the first innings, it was just one batting partnership from Pakistan that, yeah. took, that, that essentially prevented New Zealand from having potentially a 300-run lead. Um, and then in the second innings, obviously, it was one partnership. There wasn't much coming either before that or after. So in terms of that, I do think, obviously, Fahim's not going to get 90 every game. Even Rizwan feels a little unsustainable for me. And for New Zealand, yes, it's just hard to look past that base stack. I'm, I'm just not sure about the kind of surface it's going to be, do you think? 
Is Zelina going to play Mitchell Santa again? No. No, no, not at all. Never, ever, ever. Um, now that I've said that so conclusively, they're obviously going to do it. I think it's probably Daryl Mitchell. Um, I know that Matt Henry has what, been Matt named Henry? instead of... Uh, Matt Henry is instead of Wagner because he's been ruled out for this oh, test. Yeah, they're gonna, yeah. yep, so they're going to rest him, play Matt Henry, which makes perfect sense um, at Hagley for me, which is one of those green surfaces that we think of New Zealand as, um, but does get a little bit of bounce. Is that right, Adam? It does, yeah. And, and I think this is where someone like Cole Jamison will be even more dangerous. Um, look, I'm interested to see how New Zealand go without Neil Wagner. Because you think about New Zealand's test victories in the last four years against Pakistan. At home, at Seton Park in 2016. Um, the two wins in the UAE. And also, obviously, at, at the Mount you know, a few days ago. Neil Wagner's been a massive part of that. Um, yeah. And I remember at Seton Park in 2016, Pakistan went to tee one down. And it was his spell at Seton Park that kind of turned that in New Zealand's favour. And then in, in, in Dubai as well, uh, sorry, in Dubai, in the UAE as well, um, when New Zealand uh, were, were looking um, at staring, staring down at a, at, a, at a loss in that first test match, I think Pakistan again were only a few wickets down. Neil Wagner just kept bowling over after over. Workhorse. Yeah, a, a, absolutely. And, and he got a, a vital, I can't remember who it was, but he got some vital wickets that again turned the match in New, in New Zealand's favour. And then Ajaz and, and some of all came on and kind of done the rest. Did the rest. So, like, he's going to be a, a massive loss. He's been a bit of a thorn in the side of Pakistan over the last few years. Um, he's the enforcer. Again, what a performer. Bowl with two broken toes, you know, in, 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 that, in, that, in that second innings. And, and again, he broke the game open. Um, him, and, him, him and Cole Jamison. You know, that, that wicket of Fawad Alam was huge. And again, it was that persistence bowling, bowling his, his short ball. Not many bowlers think, in that situation would have been brave enough to keep bowling the short ball. And, and he did. And think, he trusted it himself. I read yesterday that he, uh, Neil Wagner has a fear of needles. Is that right? I, I didn't know that. He's, he seems like such a tough guy. And then, I'm going to um, ask him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently he has a fear of needles, so that's why he didn't want to get whatever painkilling injection he wanted to get. So I thought Neil Wagner doesn't seem like the kind of guy to be afraid of needles, but apparently so. I, also, I always find it really entertaining where, like, you get these, like, big, beefy guys, like, covered in <laughs> tattoos and stuff. And because I, my, my first career was medicine. So I would be in hospitals working as a junior doctor. And the funniest guys that would come to you were, like, shaved heads, tattoos everywhere. And you'd be like, okay, I'm just going to give you a, you'll feel a small prick. And they just look at you with, like, this fear in their eyes. And you're like, dude. Come on, don't be a big baby. And that's what it feels like with Wagner. He was steaming in, seemed to have no issues with his bowling. And then we did a post-match with him and he was gingerly like limping towards like the, the uh, conference room area. And I was like, you can't walk on that. And he was like, yeah, for some reason, walking on it is a lot harder than bowling it. But he did, <laughs> he, he bandaged it up. Um, and when he took his boot off, that's where he actually, like, felt the pain. I've broken toes before, and I broke toes surfing, um, not taking wickets, obviously. And it, it is a funny one, because when you're wearing shoes and you feel bandaged up and nice and constricted, you're like, yeah, yeah, this is fine. It's the second that you take them off where you're like, oh, my God, where did all that pain come from? So I, I think no Wagner is going to be a little bit of an issue, but personally, I think Matt Henry... Um, I mean, he's not the quality that Wagner is, and it's definitely not a like-for-like -like replacement, but I think for this pitch, it makes sense, um, in all honesty. Uh, Mitchell Santner makes no sense, so I think the fact that Colin de Grandhomme is 
probably still injured. I have seen him getting closer to, to being okay. Um, in all honesty, if CDG is fit, I think it's going to be really bad for Pakistan. You just want to see him bowl without the cap on, don't you? You want to see what that hair I looks like. I want to see his like, long locks like flowing. I, I think he's great. I think he is an incredibly underrated part of New Zealand's success as a unit over the last few years. I don't, think, just, you need to, I don't think you need to tell Pakistan how good CDG is. He comes to into point. his own against Pakistan. Good point. Batting, bowling, a little bit of everything, really. But, but I, I actually think that having... If you have an all-rounder, they should not be a bits and pieces all-rounder. They should not be someone like Mitchell Santner, who for me is neither good enough with a ball nor good enough with a bat. Um, his best component of his cricket is probably hard. Yeah, everyone thinks I'm very harsh about Mitchell Santner. Look, we're talking about, we're not talking about cricket in general. We're talking about genuinely calling yourself I a number one. Think, I still don't think there's been enough appreciation for how good the catch was. It was a good catch, the, the, the one that won the game. I was just about to say, the best component of his cricket is, is his field. And his run out as well, of Rizwan. That actually kind of... It was a very important run out. Pakistan's first, first innings. I, I agree with you. You know that I agree with you, Taz. I completely agree with you in terms of Mitchell Santner. To, to kudos to him, he bowled pretty poorly on, on, on day five, but then he ended up getting, what, the two, two, last, two last wickets, didn't he, to win the game and that catch. So I think that's yeah. probably guaranteed him another 10 tests as a specialist spinner, I would have thought. Not, not at Hagley, though. Not at Hagley. No, it doesn't make sense to keep him at Hagley. I think it's probably going to be Daryl Mitchell, um, which is did probably... Anyone notice, did anyone notice, by the way, that the last time Fawad Island played a test... Um, in New Zealand, that was uh, the game at Dine- in Dunedin in 2009, and that also ended with a carton ball by a left-arm New Zealand spinner. That time it was Dan Vittori. I think New Zealand won by 30 runs on the final day. I thought that was a bit eerie in terms of the similarities. Was, I think was that's that the, the one that should be tweeted. Was it the one where Shane Bond got some wickets on the last day? Is it yeah. the, the one? And yep. Was it Umar yeah, test debut where he got 100? Is it? Yep, that's, that's the test. It was, it was an amazing test match in many ways. And then Pakistan needed, I think, 245 to win on the final day. It looked like all three results were possible. And then, yeah, um, Shane Bourne broke the game open. And then at the end, I think there was a 40-run partnership, either the ninth wicket or the 10th wicket, and Pakistan looked like something, they might do something interesting. And then Vittori struck with the final. So you're just but, describing like, the concept of being a Pakistan fan now. It's the mm-hmm. uh, uh, Almost, and then no, (laughs) every single time. And you'd think that some of us would learn, but we haven't. Um, Okay, guys, just to to wrap this up, obviously we all think that New Zealand are heavy favorites going in to this final test. Um, Shame it's only a two. I I think it's a massive shame to have a tour that far away that includes a two-week quarantine and then only have a handful of matches. We all know why. We know why we have moments like this, but I think five T20s and we would have seen some crazy good cricket three test matches and we would have seen some really good cricket. So that's a shame. One question that I want to ask um, Danyal and then, and then Adam for, for the flip side of it is what has been thus far your standout Kiwi moment, Danyal? And then Adam, if you could tell me your standout Pakistani moment. Um, so this one's easy, easy for me because uh, I wrote a piece about it. I, I, I still think it's slightly weird um, how little appreciation relatively little appreciation Tim Southey gets um, as a bowler, um, especially um, when it comes to Southey and board, people talk about them as a pair. And then, when, you know, whenever people talk about those two as a pair, 
they talk about Bolt as the superior bar, senior partner, and in Saudi oh as the And uh, I, I, sometimes maybe that has weight, but I, I, I'm a massive fan of the way Saudi Bolt. And I'm also a massive fan of his consistency. Recently, I think in the T20 series, Bolt didn't get any wickets in Saudi. Saudi now, uh, Saudi now has, I think, 90 T20 wickets, so he's the fourth highest test bowler. Bolt is way back in this test and the test against the West Indies, especially in the first innings. He was the one who was breaking the game open. Bolt struggled to get wickets. So it's just nice for me um, to see. Uh, Brendan McCullum actually made an interesting point about this on TV. He said that in the last 19 tests, uh, Tim Saudi has 92 yeah. wickets. Um, yeah. Shane Bolt built an entire career where he had 87 wickets, I think, in 18 tests. And that's consider- considered one of the best, feet- uh, well, best test fast bowling careers for New Zealand. So that's where, in that sense, he's only 32. He's now got over 300 wickets. He's just a massive asset to New Zealand. And I still think, I still think New Zealand don't quite fully appreciate how good of an individual bowler he is, even if you separate him from Bolt and the new ball in general. Danielle, that's really so interesting think... because a lot of us, <laughs> yeah. a lot of New Zealand fans have always thought Trent Bolt was the spearhead. And probably up until a few years ago, he was always the one that was getting always the, 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 the opening wickets or the vital breakthroughs. But in the last couple of seasons, it's actually been Tim Salvey at test level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it, has, it has changed. But I thought for a while, around the time the 2015 World Cup started and the two years after that, I thought there was maybe a chance that Tim Saldi might begin to fade. He, 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 we all know he started, I think, three or four years before Trent Bolt did. That's when he got his chance. He got his chance. I'm never quite fully clear on why Bolt didn't start that early. But anyhow, um, so I thought maybe because he started early, he might be one of those early bloomers that he that begins to that burn out. Peters out. Yeah. Yes, by 2016 or 17, because between 2015, the World Cup, and then the next two or three years, he uh, Bolt was by far the better bowler. Uh, he was younger. He he was a little quicker. He was getting more swing. Uh, he was the one who got the big IPL contract. Even this season, he played the IPL. He was, he played the finals. Saudi wasn't really anywhere near. But in Test cricket, um, Adam's right. Um, uh, at least from what we see since 2017, um, Saudi's been the one who's taken over the mantle in terms of being the senior partner, the most experienced bowler. And obviously the most prolific, uh, prolific one. But it's just good to see um, that Saudi's not really close to being done yet. And potentially both these bowlers, um, and, particularly, and, and Saudi especially, could maybe go on to have a really long career. We, funnily enough, we're, this entire thing that you said, we had this conversation over coffee this morning. And we talk about it quite a lot because I think you're absolutely right. In their early careers, Bolt looked a little bit ahead of Saudi. It looked like Saudi was the one benefiting from that bowling partnership and, and improving his numbers a little bit. And that has very much changed over the last few years. I think it's probably helped that Saudi has realized or turned himself into a little bit of a specialist bowler. He's dropped out from ODIs um, and, and, you know, he's kept himself to T20 or the side has kept him to T20s and test cricket. And I think that's exactly what he is. He has is he dropped from ODIs completely? Sometimes, um, not always. If you remember, he didn't get really a look in in the World Cup. It was mm. Matt Henry selected over Tim Saudi the entire time, and it makes sense to me. I think he mm. is a better Test cricketer than he is. His value in in limited overs cricket comes with the bat, but when you're batting really deep anyway, then I think you probably don't need that. Even in I think um, Australia, yeah, the series where uh, New Zealand toured Australia about this time last year. He bowled exceptionally well. And I, I don't think that 
you don't normally think who's going to bowl well in Australia. Oh, a guy that gets it up to 135 kilometers an hour. That's, you know, it's not a natural thought that goes together, but I think he was very accurate. He was, he looked dangerous at times and he just kept plugging away even when he wasn't getting the returns. So Tim Salvi has been phenomenal. I think it'll be really interesting to see just how long he will play because, um, I might be biased because I might be around the same age bracket, but 32 is not old. 32 is not old at all. We have started changing our mind in society about what makes an old um, athlete, particularly in cricket. Fast bowlers obviously wear and tear a little bit faster than everybody else does. That goes with, with what the nature of what it is that they do. But 32 is not old. If you're feeling right, if your mind's in it and your body's working okay, I don't see why it's a problem. I regularly watch a 40, almost 41-year-old man field at short leg faster than 18-year-olds do um, in English county cricket. But, but still, I don't think that that's the thing that we need to be worrying about. His mind is still very much in the game, and he still thinks that he can achieve a lot of things. I don't think the Kiwi culture is um, the most ostentatious. I think that people prefer to be quiet about their um, desires and what they hope to do with their careers. But I think if that man was honest and said it like it is, he would tell you that he would have his eyes on becoming New Zealand's number one bowler in terms of stats and records. And he would be happy to play until 38 to do that if necessary. Um, but yeah, he's been a, a fantastic team man. And it was great to see his 300th wicket. Adam, what has been your standout Pakistani moment of this series thus far? Just quickly going back to Tim Sally for a minute. The one, the one yeah. thing is that he's actually kept himself really fit and he hasn't had a lot of injuries. And as you point out, he could go in another five years and challenge to Richard Hadley's uh, wicket tally of 431 wickets. I used to always think it was Trent Bolt that could do it. But Trent Bolt, probably since the 2015 World Cup, has had a couple of injuries, which have you know, kind of um, stalled his career a little bit. Um, you know, last year in Australia, he, he was injured um, before the tour. And I think even the the tour in 2015 as well. So I think Tim Selby, out of both of them now, you'd say that he was he's the one, not only is he fit enough, but his style of bowling probably means that he's probably out of both of those two, the, the one that would be more likely to, to have a good cricket. So Richard Hadley's uh, 431. Um, standout performance, I'm going to say Neil Wagner uh, with two broken toes. Um, we all oh, know... That's a Pakistani choice. Oh, Pakistani <laughs> choice. Oh, yeah, wait. that's the whole shtick, okay? I asked Danielle who his Kiwi performance was. I asked you who your Pakistani <laughs> one was. I get to so, talk about sorry. both because I'm neutral. So I just missed the memo there. Uh, well, you know who it's going to be, right? Actually, yeah, this is a hard choice for me because I've got Fahim. This is Fahim who I said at the very first T20 who I was backing all the way on this tour. Uh, Fawad Alam, you know that I've always thought he's amazing. And, you know, the myth, the man, the legend. <laughs> um, one of the greatest domestic records of all time. So, you know, I've always liked him. Rizwan, I've always been a fan of because obviously, you know, since he's come in to the Pakistan side, he always scores runs under pressure. Um, so, those three guys, and all three guys had great tests. So, I don't know what to say. Fold Alam. Fold Alam. Fold Alam. I mean, I said to you, this is going to be a career defining innings for him. And I remember saying to you that this is the this like he actually needs to score runs to survive. I think every innings is a career-defining in innings for Fawad Alam. That's the problem. But but okay, if he, if he, if he would have scored runs, could have been it. You know, his career probably would have been hanging by a thread. Barber probably comes into the second test to replace him if fit. You know, um, so you know what a legend. 
And isn't it good that someone, you know, you know, I'm partial to players in their mid thirties making comebacks. Days. You know, <laughs> we love seeing a good, we love seeing an old guy come back and do well. You know? <laughs> yep. Isn't no, it good but for the oldies? bias there at all. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it good for the oldies? You know, it is good for the oldies. I'm just a fan of people born in the end of the eighties doing well. So definitely no bias there either. <laughs> Excellent. And, and well, a good beard as well, and he's got a good beard. So actually, all the Pakistani boys beard. have good beards. So, we, but his beard is um, particularly impressive. Very nice mustache. But Ish Ish Sodhi is creeping up from behind. I saw him the other day um, at the T20s, and I was like, Ish, this thing here—it's—it's it's absolutely rocking it. And he I was like, Yeah, Fawad's it's a tribute to my dad. Fawad's got the best beard in world cricket right now. I would have thought some tight competition too. Interesting shout, yeah. Uh, while I've got you guys, I just want to ask you quickly, um, is uh, Rachin Ravindra really good enough to have, a, um, have an excellent New Zealand career? Because I've only, um, I've only looked at him in terms of his scorecards and I think um, a couple of interviews. Um, he That's a really good there. question. What do you guys think? I thought while I've got you might as well. It's ask. an excellent question and we have different opinions on this. Um, okay, Adam, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm in the hot seat. Okay. Um, look, he's only still a young a young guy. And like before he played domestic cricket, there were a lot of comparisons with Kane Williamson, which I think is a little bit unfair. You know, because Kane Williamson is going to be one of the all-time great test cricketers. At the same age, Kane Williamson had already played for New Zealand. So I think that's a little bit unfair. Um, look, I think the guy's got all the talent in the world. I think he's, he's batting in a really tough position. Um, in the Wellington side, he's opening the batting. And we all know, like, you know, before Christmas, um, batting on New Zealand decks is probably not the most ideal place to be to be batting. So I, I don't think his current first-class record really reflects his ability. Um, I'd like to see him probably drop down down the order a little bit because I think, like as I was saying, it's, it's pretty difficult on our, in our, on our green decks um, to really get going. And he's really struggled early on um, in the domestic season. He got a, I think he got 100 against West Indies A from Eru. And, yep. a, and a sixer with, with the ball. So, um, look, I think he probably is earmarked as the next great New Zealand young talent, along with another guy mm. called Finn Allen. I'll just check his name in there. Um, so my my perspective is only a little bit different. I think the last year, that, so last year was the first year that I was here and the first year that I watched domestic cricket. I saw absolutely nothing to back up the fact that he is a potential great last year. Nothing at all whatsoever. Um and I was a little bit confused. I was like, well, these guys don't stop talking about him. And, you know, he did well at under 19s and, and the black caps really back this guy. So what am I not seeing? What am I failing to see? And then obviously Adams pointed out that, that playing batting here before Christmas is super tough. I then did it myself after having the batting season of my absolute life in England. Um, I was dismissed once over an entire season. I, I suddenly thought that maybe I too am Steve Smith. It was amazing. And then I came and batted here. I wonder if that would come up. <laughs> it was it was actually uh, it was the form of my life and I, I played age group cricket and I, I played at a decent level and I thought hang on a minute I'm getting older and better what is this and then the first day that I picked up a bat in New Zealand I kid you not I never wanted to pick up a bat again I suddenly I, I looked at it this way I was, was like, Shit. Park? like sorry was that in Hamilton was it somewhere close to Satan Park where you Actually, it was it was the Bay Oval. It was Mount Monganui. Um, and it's supposed to be, in all honesty, it's probably a pitch that I would have liked 
And I just didn't even see the ball. It was so slow. It was so low. I suddenly felt like my reflexes were totally out of whack. Um, it was it was really difficult and it was really disheartening. And and in all honesty, it is a completely different art. We say that it is so easy or it should be easy for professionals to pick up their bat from England and then go to India or go to South Africa or whatever. And it is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Obviously, as a professional, this is your job. You don't also have to be good at other things. So it's a little bit different. But I was so hurt and disheartened to find out that I did not secretly become Steve Smith over the course of one summer. And in factual fact, I just had a nice lucky streak. Um, it's hard. It is really hard. He's a very young guy. He's very inexperienced. Then this year, he's had a way better start, way better start in the domestic season. I'm starting to see it. I don't think that that tour match against West Indies is any evidence either way. Those West Indian boys would have given their wickets away to anyone. It's a matter of whoever stepped up with the ball. That was it. However, I think that um, there's a thing that Adam always says, and it seems very much true, that, that New Zealand cricketers mature far more slowly or come into their own far more slowly than some other world cricketers, particularly Pakistanis do. Um, I cannot imagine. Nassim did not have his best test a week ago, but I cannot imagine any Kiwi after Daniel Vittori, who was still a few years older than Nassim when he was doing what he was doing, and he was doing it really poorly. Vittori did not become a good cricketer until much later. Um, when Salvi started at the age of 20, he didn't become a good cricketer yeah. until much later. Kiwis do seem to mature far more slowly. The fact that everybody has told him, hey, we believe in you, and decided to back him while he matures, to me, that is a sign that we should actually expect great things from him. Um, I think if people who have watched you over the course of five, six, seven, eight years see something in you, and I don't like the phrase, he's the next blah, 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 for anybody. But this entire country, in terms of the administration and the coaching staff, look at him and think, yep, yeah, we have something here that is like what we had in Kane Williamson. I think even though I have not personally seen evidence of that, we trust in it. That's my take on it. Um, I'm not entirely convinced he's an all-rounder. Um, I've seen him bowl maybe two or three times. Okay. But I think Pakistanis have higher expectations of spinners, in all honesty, than, than Kiwis do. I think that's a salient point to end on. <laughs> and on that note, I want to say thank you very much for being with us, Danielle. It was a pleasure to speak to you and get your take. Um, you're, you're always an interesting analytical voice uh, in Pakistani cricket because I feel that there's, it's very easy to have personal opinions where you let, whether you're a Karachiite or a Lahori or, or whether you like a certain player or not, creep into your analysis. And it's hard to avoid it, um, especially when you've been doing this for a very long time. So it's really nice to have a very well-educated, in terms of Pakistani domestic cricket, um, and somebody who's been analyzing the game for a fair few years now. So thank you very much for joining us. We hope that I appreciate you it. Yeah. your time with the Cricketeers, and hopefully we'll get to speak to you again soon. Yeah, no, this is my pleasure. Um, I, I, yeah, I hope you have me on again. I hope I hope uh, you haven't. You don't regret bringing me bringing me. On. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Bye. Take care. Take, take care, guys. Thanks. Speak to you soon. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.